In Australia, your postcode represents more than your physical location or sporting allegiances. In fact, your postcode is one of the most accurate predictors of school performance. My name is Chris Field and this is Education Professionals. Every child is born with the potential to learn and achieve, but household income, ethnic background, even the postcode they live in can radically impact their future. In Australia, there's a staggering gap of up to seven years between top and bottom students in a typical Year 9 class, and on average, 15-year-old children from the lowest income households are almost three years behind their wealthier peers. This is educational disadvantage. Statistics are confronting. They are also symptomatic of a serious class issue facing Australia and its schooling system. In this episode, we ask the question, how do Australian schools serve to consolidate class inequality in society? And what can educators do to reverse the trend? We interview a teacher seeking to implement equitable change and hear just how complex these issues are and examine the contribution of governments, elites and neoliberalism in drawing class divides in education. In order to examine the relationship between inequality and educational processes, sociologists draw on the work of Pierre Baudou. While inequality is often conceptualised in economic terms, Baudou contended that social classes are formed through the accumulation, or lack of, cultural, social and economic capital. Cultural capital describes the collection of ideas, skills and dispositions that a person may possess to increase social mobility, the movement of a person between classes. Social capital refers to the networks of relationships a person has that offers resources beneficial in gaining power. And economic capital refers to the financial means by which a person may access social power within society. The socioeconomic status, SES, of a school, postcode, person or family, considers a combination of these concepts and often draws on wealth, income, occupation and education. Educational institutions are systematically affected by these concepts. Sarah Bright is an English teacher in a Perth secondary school located in the outer southern suburbs. As a low SES school, we have a lot of difficulties with attendance and retention. As students progress through school, we're finding that they are less likely to attend as regularly because they don't see the benefit of higher education and in many cases, neither do their parents. Students with low SES, such as those in Mrs Bright's class, experience a high degree of cultural, social and economic capital disadvantage. The 2015 Dropping Off the Edge report outlines that low economic capital is a central factor in experiencing education limits. Reports from the Australian Bureau of Statistics agree, revealing that while just 11% of the most advantaged quartile do not complete their final year of secondary schooling, this number accelerates to 39% amongst the most disadvantaged quartile. Aimed at redirecting these statistics, schools must offer a range of vocational curriculum and work experience opportunities for students who would otherwise consider leaving school. While this policy may provide alternative pathways to successful completion of school and increased employment opportunities, it remains heavily influenced by student and school SES. Mrs Bright shares her experience. 
Vet and work experiences are great pathways for our students. However, placements really rely on quality networks. Parents of students in a higher OCS school may utilize their networks to offer placements in quality and diverse fields. But my students don't have the parents with the same networks. It falls on our staff to find suitable placements within the local area. We're limited to our surroundings and so the same placements are offered in the same fields of work. It can be really limiting to a student's opportunities. Mrs Bright is not alone. Research conducted in New South Wales found that the social capital of schools and families was influential in determining which educational opportunities a student received. In examining 20 secondary schools with low SES status in Western Sydney, Reid found that schools relied heavily on parents' networks within the local community to gain work experience. In addition to cultural capital disadvantage, Economic capital disadvantage was evident in the inability for many students to access transport beyond the local community. Many of our students travel to school on foot or by bike and would find it difficult to use the limited available public transport to travel longer distances. But even if they could travel, our students wouldn't be able to simply show up in a city office wearing clothes within their budget range. Our parents can't afford professional workwear, so economic disadvantage is also a barrier. So do schools serve to consolidate class inequality in society? Unfortunately, to some extent, they do. There are numerous factors contributing to the cultural, social and economic capital disparity between the highest and lowest SES communities. Research suggests that the influence of neoliberalism in Australia has had a significant effect. Broadly speaking, neoliberalism in Australia refers to the reconceptualising education with an economic point of view. Education expert John Smith describes the effect of neoliberalism, commenting school inequities do not result from unintended or uncontrollable forces but rather from deliberate collaboration between educated classes responsible for determining the nature of schooling and capitalists with an interest in controlling the minds and actions of citizens. I think the teaching community is generally pretty cynical towards government involvement in education. We've had too many ministers from both sides seek to revolutionise education by rehashing some form of traditional direct instruction model that prioritises preparation for employment. It always includes some standards models with high level accountability and testing. That's a far too narrow approach to education. It's not just governments that tend to view education within neoliberal terms. The 21st century has seen a significant rise in the influence of corporations in education. The Centre for Independent Studies, CIS, was set up by a conglomeration of mining companies including Shell, BHP and Rio Tinto. CIS campaigned for the use of commercially manufactured curriculum packages based on direct instruction to low SES schools in Australia. The centre succeeded implementing programs which, as some argued, would produce secondary school graduates that would fit the corporate needs of the companies. The Cape York Aboriginal Australian Academy initiative is an example of a CIS-recommended program that drew controversy regarding the absence of large amounts of student data and conflicting evidence on the effectiveness of the program. Moreover, in 2015, board member Stephen Swartz was appointed chair of the ACARA board.
This appointment represented the integration of corporations backed by elitists into the education system. With individuals, governments and corporations influenced by the neoliberal agenda that upholds the class divide, schools face a difficult challenge to act as change agents in increasing the social mobility of students from lower classes. Cultural, social and economic capital empowerment and resisting the neoliberal influence begins in the classroom, believes Mrs Bright. about remaining student-centred in our classroom. We need to provide educative experiences that value students' existing knowledges, skills and cultures. Education researcher Tony Munchinski would describe teachers such as Mrs Bry as critical educators, those who take ownership over the class issues within their school. They possess the knowledge and skills to identify and address the effects of class-related power inequality. In doing so, these teachers can positively impact student learning experiences and outcomes. Through these practices, critical educators understand the assertion that teachers' work is political work. The challenge for critical educators is to resist reforms that benefit the elite and corporations while advocating for classroom-level issues. Smith refers to this process as speaking back whereby teachers stand against contemporary attitudes towards education and society. Speaking back involves socially informed improvements by critical and reflective educators. Speaking back embraces the diversity of cultural capital. Speaking back emboldens teachers and empowers students. In a new way, critical educators must be acutely aware that teaching is a class act.